welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott, and this week I'm going to be reading you a ghost story. Before we begin, I wanted to let you know that there is a full-length bonus episode available on Patreon for my $3 and up Patreon patrons. It is No End House, the infamous creepy pasta, and I think I did a pretty good job. I spent a lot of time editing it to make it feel as immersive as possible. So you can find that again on Patreon if you would like to subscribe, and if you do, please wear headphones if you can while listening. I tried to do a lot of cool binaural effects with that one. I mean, I always try to do a little bit of that, but this one I really tried to make it as horrifying as possible. (laughs) And speaking of horrifying, this week I have for you a story from an author who is new to the show. Their name is Jude Gray, and here is their bio. I'm Jude. I'm from Portsmouth, England, and I'm a writer only in my spare time. I recently completed a law degree, and now I'm figuring out what I'm doing with the rest of my life. I would love to be an author or perhaps lawyer. Who knows? Jude also sent in a helpful blurb for this story, for those of you who like a little more synopsis before you get into it. After Henry VIII's reign ended and his only son dies, there's a rush for the English throne. A Protestant, Lady Jane Grey, is chosen by the boy king to inherit the crown. This triggers the horrific revenge of his sister, Bloody Mary, who murders Lady Jane Grey and rules with a killer's heart and vengeful soul. Quiet is only felt once more over English shores when her younger sister, Queen Elizabeth I, is crowned after Bloody Mary's death. Her unquiet wrath silenced until... 465 years later, a luxury historic stately home has been left in house-selling limbo. A plucky estate agent come amateur ghost hunter, Jane invites her school friend Elizabeth, Liz, along with Jane's enthusiastic boyfriend, to search the house of its history via the trusted method of the Ouija board. However, through the door of haphazard necromancy, they unlock the brewing rage of the long-scorned Bloody Mary. Through the deep-seated hatred, there seems to be more. There seems to be a connection between the three women. And now I present to you, from author Jude Gray, The March of Queen Mary. Liz stood at the sink. The fluorescent lights hummed overhead, turning her a pale green, her eyes averted from the unholy glare of the mirror in front of her. There was a cut across her nose and a bruised swelling on her jaw. She vomited again. Bile cascaded into the metal sink. Her ears rushed and she could feel her heart banging in her chest. She turned on the tap and cupped her hand around the running water. She swilled the water in her mouth and spat. Something moved in her mouth. She put her thumb and index finger to the loose tooth and pulled. Pain cut through her like a convulsing electrical wire. 
She laughed, tears falling down her face. She was relieved. She could feel. She threw the tooth over her shoulder and pressed into the cut on her nose. The pain rippled through her mind, sending waves of familiarity throughout her body, skidding off her skin like a flat pebble on an undisturbed shore. Laughter erupted from her lungs and rattled her wiry frame. She took a breath, letting the last little sighs of laughter dissipate. She changed sinks and splashed water on her face, hands still wet. She combed her hair with her fingers and tied it back with a hairband on her wrist. She felt wild. Beyond the cuts and bruises, pensive eyes and chapped lips, adrenaline once more coursed through her veins. She turned and saw the vending machines of toothpaste and condoms and the like you find in public bathrooms. She didn't have any money, so they were of no use to her. She'd just brave the world, vomit breath and all. She left. The synthetic lighting of the petrol station beamed into the night in nauseating contrast to the nighttime hue. It had been raining, the smell of it thick in the air, but the rain had stopped and the fog had started to drift. No one was filling up their cars. She could see the cashier flipping through stock, oblivious to the goings-on around the shop. She looked up the road, knowing a mile and a half up the hill, her best friend's car was on its roof in a ditch. Curling plastic and glass splayed out on the tarmac. Sure enough, someone will see it and phone the police. She would have to give a statement. But what would she say? She turned her head in the other direction. The country road, outlined by hedges and gnarled trees, turned left. She'd walk that way. The night did nothing for her senses. She wondered why people said that pitch black would heighten them. The sound of her feet on the country road etched into the soundscape of rustling trees and whisper of the cool, cloud-filled air. But it barely registered. She had walked for what felt like years when headlights drifted up from the distance. She moved to her right and walked in the ditch so as not to be run over. But the car slowed and stopped next to her. A pang rang up inside of her. Her body woke with a jolt. She put her head down and kept walking. She heard the window of the car wind down. Hey! It was a woman's voice. Hey! The shout was louder. The car door swung open. Are you alright? Liz's jaw tightened, but despite herself, she stopped walking and turned slightly. I'm alright, thanks. Liz shouted back and waved her hand to signal normality. The woman had put her hazards on and was running at a soft jog towards her, 
Liz took a step back. It's okay. It's okay. The woman stopped in her tracks, her hands up. I won't hurt you. It's nearly four in the morning. The woman hesitated. Do you need a lift? Liz looked at the car. You're heading in the wrong direction. Her mind flashed the image of the red Fiat in the ditch up the hill. There's a petrol station up the road. I I can make a U-turn, get you to where you're headed. The woman took a step forward and saw the cut on Liz's nose. Her gaze was tentative, concerned. Uh, us girls got a band together. Liz looked ahead of her. The road seemed endless and her body gave a heaving sigh of exhaustion. She gave a little nod. In the car, Liz noticed brown boxes cluttering the back seat. Don't mind those. The woman's voice was kind, upbeat. I'm a duty solicitor. Takes me all over. Now they are shutting down the police stations. They got to the petrol station quicker than Liz had anticipated. She thought she had walked miles. The woman maneuvered the car around to the exit, but parked up just short of leaving. Is this... Boyfriend trouble? The woman asked cautiously. Liz looked away, her mouth dry. She was going to vomit again. I'm Sandy. You don't have to tell me, but I can take you to the police station. Liz flushed. She wanted to leave. She wanted to get out of the car. No, this will be quicker. No. Not the police station. She struggled. I... I just need... I just need to be far away. The train station. Can you take me to the nearest train station? Please? Liz felt the woman's eyes scan her. You don't have any money, do you? It wasn't a question. There was silence. The woman, Sandy, clicked her tongue and started up the car again. It's okay. I'll get you to the train station. The car purred through the wilderness. The sun peeked out over the quilt of the countryside and speckled through tree branches. Liz's body started to shake. She picked at her fingers, chipped and scraped. The numbness had set in once again. Her mind wandered. Tears fell down her face. Before. Just bring an overnight bag. We got booze and everything. Jane's voice danced electronically over the phone. I can't believe we're doing this. Liz had the phone on loudspeaker while she pulled out the jogging bottoms and tops from her drawers. Is Paul bringing his kit? He is going crazy. He bought heat sensor equipment and everything. (laughs) (laughs) They laughed. Liz mused over her clothes, splayed in loose outfits on the bed. She wanted to be warm, but not look like a scruff. 
gray joggers, and the top she bought at a festival, she decided. The journey on the train was about three hours, but Liz didn't mind. This was her holiday. She gazed lazily out of the window and watched the cityscapes turn into rural green land. The sun stood strong in the sky. She watched as it started to peek down, touching farmland hedgerows, headphones in. She felt like she was in a movie. The station was bare, one of those long-forgotten Victorian buildings, as forgotten as the trade which was once vital to the village. She stood at the gate, wondering if she could get an Uber. Then she laughed at herself. In this little town? Across from the station, she could see a post office come grocery shop. She pulled her bag up onto her shoulder and plodded across the street. The post office, as expected, was closed, but the shopkeeper seemed to be happily unpacking cigarettes into the kiosk. She popped her head in the door. Hi, is there a taxi company around here? She asked. The shopkeeper looked up and smiled. Sure, where are you going? His accent was thick with rural Yorkshire. The Harrington Estate. I know it's way out, but I'm happy to pay, Liz said in her politest voice. The shopkeeper nodded and disappeared behind a plastic tasseled curtain. When he reappeared, he was followed by a young man, no older than 18. He'll take you. The shopkeeper slapped the boy's back. Liz considered the fickleness of city living and followed the young man to his bright green Ford Escort. Liz slung her bag into the back seat and plonked herself in the front. Would you like to agree on a price now, or you want to wait until we get there? Liz asked as the young man started the motor. He seemed to blush and looked her up and down. My dad said about 25 pounds, if that's okay. Liz noted how sweet the kid was and smiled at him encouragingly. I think the drive is about half an hour or so. Sounds good to me, Liz chirped, making a mental note to tip him a tenor and to tell the boy not to tell his dad. So, what's your name? I'm Liz. The two made small talk as the car glided through the wilderness. Liz felt her heart fill with adventure. She was living again. No nine to five, no daily commute just hitching a lift with a stranger after finding herself in the back end of the English countryside. A world plunged into the imaginations of Susan Hill and Shirley Jackson. So... The boy took an emergency stop. Tires screeched. The seatbelt stuck and knocked the breath out of a Liz. The car stopped. She brushed her hair out of her eyes to see a deer carcass lying in the road. Jesus! She hissed. I'm so sorry, the boy mumbled, as shocked as she was. I didn't want to hit it. No, no, that's all right, Liz said hastily. There was a pause as they both stared blankly at the deer. The side of it had been torn, and flies danced their ritual celebration of decay. Shall we move it? Liz said into the opening void. Yeah, yeah, I guess we better, the boy said, snapping out of the horror. They grunted and held their breath, but 
With much fuss and kicking, they were back in the car and driving. Not far now, said the boy. But for the duration, the two sat in silence. At the gates, Liz handed the boy 50 pounds, insisting he kept it and watched him drive off. She felt sad he had gone. There was a camaraderie between them now. She shook herself. Something about touching that rotting carcass had left a stain on her soul. She took her phone out of her pocket and checked it for a signal. As expected, there was none. She scowled and looked at the wrought iron gates, puzzled about how she was going to get in. As she was considering throwing her bags over and climbing, she saw a figure walking towards her over the gravel driveway. The figure seemed to be trotting excitedly towards her. She squinted, and the figure gave a manic wave. It was Jane. Familiarity rushed at Liz, and the dead, rotten deer was all but forgotten. She waved manically back, and once the gates were opened, the two squealed and embraced. How was the journey? Jane asked as they walked towards the gray mansion, all columns and turrets. Liz had tilted her head up to fully take in the building. It was so imposing, regal. She felt a twinge of pride, a historical connection. Oh, yeah, Liz replied absentmindedly. Super easy connection from King's Cross seemed to dawdle. Jane pulled at the gilded door and, with a flourish of the hand, welcomed Liz in. The reception was nothing that she could have anticipated. Sure, she'd seen the like on television, and she'd been to a few National Trust stately homes, but the magnitude and grandeur could not be caught by the camera, and the absence of exit signs and red ropes was not missed. The floor was tiled, mosaic, with a round table in the center. Beyond the table was a curving wooden staircase, leading to a mezzanine. A circular chandelier hung in the center of the room, and pictures of landscapes hung dutifully on the walls. In her mind's eye, she could see the household staff standing in exhibition on the staircase, a bouquet of flowers set in splendor on the table, and a welcoming host greeting delighted salutations. We're set up through here. Jane broke the spell and they walked through several reception rooms, passing through a ballroom to the back parlor. Jane explained that this wing of the house had been added on by some Victorian earl on the command of his wife. Turned them bankrupt, so it was sold to a new money merchant. But like I said, the original building is Tudor. I guess you have to know all the history to sell it, Liz replied. Yes, it's good for the jargon, but don't you think it's interesting? Yes, Liz said in a whisper, the breath taken from her. The parlor was a jumble of wires and backpacks. Liz spotted a case of beer, opened with a couple missing. Paul was fiddling with a camera. He looked up and smiled a broad, Paul-only smile. Hey, you! He cried and took Liz into a big bear hug. After the hug, he pulled her over and started excitedly explaining about the infrared camera he had just bought. Jane went into the case of beer and chucked one at Liz, as she nodded and feigned interest in the wonders of modern technology. So, the plan is, 
Jane said quickly once Paul took a breath. First night, we camp out on the floor of the master bedroom in the old wing. I'll set up with cameras, and I popped some along the hallways, Paul interjected excitedly. With a stare, Jane continued. I've got torches and balls to communicate, and... Jane's eyes flashed a devil's stare. A Ouija board. Now. The car glided to a stop outside the train station. The cottage-like Victorian building glowed in the red light of the rising sun. It had seemed quaint when Liz had first seen it. Now, it was the last thing she wanted to see in this twisted, gnarled oak wilderness. Liz reached for her seatbelt, but as she went to leave, Sense told her to thank her savior. She turned to look at the woman. Kind eyes looked back at her. It occurred to Liz that this woman truly didn't want any recompense for her good deed, and the shock of humanity rattled Liz to her core. Thank you. The breathy expression came through tears. The woman leaned forward over the gear stick and held Liz in a mum's hug. Tight, comfortable, and clouded with the smell of laundry detergent. It's okay, the woman whispered softly. She broke the hug and rustled about the car door. Here, I know you don't want to talk, but here's my card in case you change your mind. Oh, she reached back to her back seat and pulled out her purse. You'll need this for the train. It won't get you far, but I'd rather encourage you to follow the law than break it outright. She pressed 30 pounds into Liz's hand. The tears spurted down her face, and she nodded, not arguing. On the platform, the machine was broken, and there seemed no personnel to pay for a train ticket, so Liz decided she'd pay on the train. The sign said the train to London was coming in three hours. Liz stood next to an empty plant pot. Two trains whizzed by, picking up Liz's hair in the wind, but Liz didn't notice. She stood numbly, letting the cold sink into her bones and staring out across the tracks. Before. Liz had changed into her jogging bottoms and the tie-dye number. Glasgow, circa 2016. She was comfy. Her soul was massaged in beer, oven pizza, and mozzarella sticks. She padded barefoot back from the bathroom down to the ornate hallway into the master bedroom. Her fingers brushed the wooden sideboards and the frames of the portraits, hanging demurely on the wall. She stopped in front of the wall-length mirror and in her mind's eye, she owned this corridor. She touched each edge and each cold surface with innate smugness. It was all hers. She pushed the large wooden door lightly. The room was lit only by candles and the electric hue of camera screens. A monitor was set up facing the wall-length mirror. Paul was tinkering while Jane sat on the floor, playing with torches. She beamed up to Liz from the floor. I get that the old part of the building has to be kept for historical reasons, Liz said sitting next to her friend. But I don't understand why all this stuff is here. For historical reasons. 
Jane mimicked with a laugh. Yeah, I'm not sure how much of the stuff comes with the house, actually. When the Earl went bankrupt, they left everything. The belief at the time was the items, or chattels as the deed puts them, are more or less fixtures. But I do know the old owners didn't want any of the stuff. The pictures and things. So, who are you selling this to? Did they have to keep the stuff? Liz asked. Paul looked up suddenly interested in the conversation. Well, Jane blushed. The thing is, the historical nature of one half of the house is, well, owned already by the National Trust. So we're trespassing, Liz exclaimed. No, no, Jane fluttered. We're not trespassing. It's just the house is in limbo currently. We couldn't come here if it was on the market. But the new wing isn't 200 years old yet, so it can't be taken over. It can still be a private dwelling, but this half has to be kept old. It's actually the biggest problem of selling it. Old Muggins over here thought this was part of my promotion, but I have to say, I feel royally stitched up. Right. Liz reached for another beer and passed one to Jane. So, we don't have to feel that bad then. No, we don't. Shall we get started? The three sat around the Ouija board in the center of the room. Paul's cameras blinked in different directions. Jane had set up torches across the four-poster bed. Liz, Paul, and Jane pressed their fingers onto the wooden planchette, their fingers turning red under the pressure of ghostly anticipation. We thank you spirits for hosting us in your dwelling, Jane said into the electronic silence. Paul shot her a look as if to say, the fuck? We would like to show you our gratitude by giving you the means to communicate. So please, tell us, who are you? Liz could hear Paul breathing beside her, heavy and excited. She shot a look at Jane, whose eyes were scanning the room expectantly. Tell us who you are. What is your name? Jane said. Nothing. Breathing. If you can hear us, spirits, talk to us. Silence. Nothing. No cool wind or goosebumps on the back of the neck. The atmosphere was no heavier than before. No candle flickers. The planchette suddenly scratched across the board. Ah, shit, sorry. Paul? Liz and Jane groaned in unison. I'm sorry. I slipped, you guys. The band dismantled and everyone sat in a huff of anticlimax. Well, that was crap, Liz said, deflated. You'll get us to go to the bathroom doing Bloody Mary next, Paul scoffed. No, no, Jane tried. Maybe we didn't do it right. Maybe it's not late enough. She checked her watch. See? It's only 10.20. Maybe we should wait for the witching hour. Witching hour? 
Liz scoffed, but changed tact when she saw Jane's expression. Okay, we can wait for the witching hour. But what are we going to do in the meantime? Jane flashed her signature devil's stare. Slumber party? Now. Liz, with the warm glow of sunlight, had thawed. For the first time, she understood the meaning of time is relative. Relative to the moment, to the person, to the place. She had stood outside reality on the platform for three hours. The shortest and longest three hours of her life. The train had come. She had gotten on. She had wandered, dazed, through the moving carriages to find a conductor. She had paid to get as far as King's Cross. And now, sat looking out of the window. There was no time. She wasn't waiting for her destination. Because the beyond was intangible, unfeasible. But she couldn't stay there on the fuzzy public transport seat for eternity. So there was nothing, no time, no concept at all. Before. Liz gawkishly twisted in the confines of her sleeping bag. She rubbed her eyes, which felt dry and scratchy, and sat herself up on the floor. Her friends were lying in what she thought must have been really uncomfortable positions. Paul face down on his pillow, and Jane on her back, with her arm across her face. Liz nudged Jane with her sleeping-bagged foot. She stirred. Wake up, Liz said quietly. Wake up. Jane looked up at her, annoyed, but not unfriendly. What time is it? She moaned. I don't know, but it's gotta be late. Ugh, my head feels like it's filled with mothballs. Liz whispered as Paul started to stir. You guys are awake? What time is it? He mumbled from his pillow. We don't know. Jane laughed sleepily. Do you always sleep like that? Liz laughed, more upbeat. Like what? Paul seemed very confused. And which of you two kept getting up in the night, running up and down the corridors? It was driving me bonkers. I would start to nod off and then pad, pad, pad. Jesus. Liz was laughing as she got up to stretch. Well, it wasn't me. Jane looked at Paul. It wasn't me either. Paul denied, and then he winced. Oh, but I think I had too much beer last night. Not to forget this little gem you pulled out at about 1.30. Liz jiggled the quarter-empty bottle of whiskey. Oh, I forgot about that. Paul winced again. I'm sure you got up because I felt someone go past me in the night too. Jane said. You must have forgotten. The morning went on like any friend's holiday would. A dirty fry-up cooked and hoovered up by the happy campers. Giggles over the ghoulish drunken stupor the three had fallen into the night before. 
a walk around the gardens, unkempt but still grand, to get the air in their lungs, and the hangover very much gone. When finally dusk came and the three sat in the overly furnished but very much under-lived-in library, Paul had insisted that he could set a fire in the fireplace and was not deterred by Jane pointing out that he didn't have any firewood. It was only when they realized the flue was blocked that hope was lost and they sat surrounded by candlelight and lamps. Liz had unzipped her sleeping bag and wore it like a blanket. Paul and Jane huddled with their backs to an ancient embroidered couch. The three of them sat with their eyes glued to the Ouija board once again, placed at the center of their circle. Liz looked at the books which cascaded above her and thought how airy the room was. Cold air creeping against her well-clad skin, leaving fingerprints of chill. We aren't sleeping in here tonight, Liz said through a shiver. (laughs) Scared? Paul said with a laugh. No, it's fucking airy and cold in this room, Liz said. You do look cold, said Jane. Let's distract you. Fingers on the planchette, guys. Paul shot Liz a sarcastic look, and the two shared a here-we-go-again moment. But they complied, and the three of them pressed down on the planchette. Spirits, again, we are grateful for your accommodation. Jane's voice held authority, like she was some high priestess. Paul held back a giggle. Please, let us give you the opportunity to tell us. She paused, her face earnestly turned upwards towards the windowed wall. The other two followed her eyeline to... the nothing. Jane finished. Who are you? The planchette skidded, and all attention turned back to the board. Paul? Liz said indignantly. No, it's not. H! Jane interrupted. E L L O Hello S I S T E Sister? That doesn't mean anything, Paul huffed. Hello, sister? Sister? Jane spoke to the room. Who are you speaking to? There was a pause. The planchette started to scuff. As it did, a heat radiated through Liz, indescribably up through her. Her face burned, but she had no willpower to pull away. In O T Jane spelt. You with the weight of a crashing wave. The air moved in a great gust. The candles went out as one, and the planchette flew from their fingertips, hitting the back of the fireplace. There was a flicker of sparks as it scratched against the brick wall and landed with a clatter. The three sat in breathless silence. Liz's face was scarlet. She felt her cheeks burning red. She flung off her sleeping bag and crawled over to the planchette. She picked it up, but the worn metal object seared her fingers and she dropped it. Shit! 
She cried and sucked her fingers. She felt the cool air against her skin once again and sat down in a huff. Paul snapped out of his fright and started hurriedly relighting the candles. That, that, he started to stutter. That wasn't real. We, we, we all must have been pushing down on the planchette and, like, it flung across the room. Like, like them frog things. You know, the ones you get when you're a kid. He looked up from the last candle to Liz. His eyes searched her for a response. Liz looked away from him. She bit her lip. She knew Jane was a believer. You okay, chick? She went over to her friend and sat next to her. Jane was frozen, but with the touch of Liz's hand, she jumped. She looked at Liz and started to laugh. (gasps) Quick, quick! She got up. Check the tape! They followed suit and stood around one of the monitors connected to the camera. They watched their electronic counterparts bend over the board. Here, look, I saw... Jane went to point at the screen. Liz glanced at her, but she didn't finish. Liz looked back at the monitor. She watched as she and her friend's hands moved on the board. The screen went dark as the candles went out, and the planchette landed in the fireplace. Oh, shit! Paul said. He grabbed the camera to rewind the footage. What is that? Liz watched. He stopped at the moment the candles went out. She saw nothing. What? She shrugged. Look! Paul rewound it again, then played it back, frame by frame. Liz watched as what could be described as smoke drifted over the top of her. It dissipated and, in its absence, took the light. Liz looked over the monitor at the room, its ornate furniture and heavy books, making it something out of a book. But there was nothing wrong with the room, nothing which suggested what she'd just seen. She looked back at her friends. They were watching the footage again. She glanced at it. Oh, for goodness sake, she said, exasperated. It was probably a draft blowing the candles enough to make smoke and then... She flew air from her mouth. (sighs) Blew them all out. Jane made some non-committal noises, and Paul blew the air from his nose. Come on, guys. The scaring is the fun part, and I'm just freezing. Liz decided to change tack. Jane, go and get the whiskey to warm us up. Jane looked petrified. Liz sighed. I'll go. And with that, she turned, grabbing her sleeping bag to wear as a cape. (laughs) Liz, you look ridiculous. Take this. Paul chucked his puffy jacket to her. She acquiesced and slid her arms into the warm fur line. Liz padded down the corridor. This part of the landing went past a set of stairs she had not yet explored. She glanced at the pool of darkness the cement steps descended into, and thought the shadows seemed to dance and pucker. She didn't linger and walked past the wall-length mirror, which, in the daylight, she had admired herself in. But now, something itched at her. 
She knew it was silly, but she wouldn't look in the mirror. She got to the bedroom where the bottle of whiskey had been left in exile for its naughty deeds the night before. The bedroom, without the hum of Paul's hardware and the warmth of Jane's goofy laughter, was hollow and muted. The soft furnishings made it sound-absorbent and catatonic. Sister. A voice whispered out of the air. She didn't know why, but she held her breath and ran to the bottle, turning on her heels and jogged back along the corridor. Up the landing, she ran past the mirror. She didn't mean to. She didn't. But she glanced into the mirror. She saw... She saw... No, she didn't. She didn't see the outline of a gray body. She didn't see the hollow eyes of a sunken face. Whiskey, anyone? She burst into the library, determined to shake the spooks, trying to finger at her bones. Her friends were still staring at the monitor when she entered. I'll have a swig, said a very pale Paul. Come and look at this, Liz. He took the bottle and took a long, slow glug. Remember I told you about the infrared mode on the cameras? Well, when that smog or whatever appears over you, your body temp soars. It's a wonder you didn't catch on fire. This is like evidence or, or something. Jane whispered through a nervous giggle. She took the whiskey bottle. Liz looked at the images and then at her friends. She couldn't help but be disappointed. The ghost hunting was meant to be a joke, like when they were kids, pretending in the dark, telling the same old, and then she heard breathing down the phone, ghost stories, not body temperature shit. Does she have a fever or a ghost? Jane screamed and dropped the bottle. Books had started to fly off their shelves. With the movement of air, piles and piles of books collapsed around them. Get a torch! For God's sake, get the torches! Liz shouted to Paul with a thud, thud, thud of books. They scrambled into the hallway, the thudding getting more rapid and louder. Suddenly, it stopped. The scream crashed down the corridor. Without thinking, the three of them ran towards the bedroom. The mirror swam past them in a blur. Paul skidded to a halt. Liz turned at the door, pushing Jane inside. She watched Paul as the color drained from his face. A watercolor erased by rain. He suddenly screamed and swung at the mirror. The impact of his fist seemed to sound in a thousand rings all around. A shattering of a millennium of shards. Paul staggered back and ran in the opposite direction towards the stairs. What Liz heard next was so visceral, so tangible, she could have been transported there herself. He fell with a heart-wrenching crack down the hard cement stairs. Silence. Paul? 
Liz cried, but was held back. Where was Jane? She turned her torch inside the room. Jane stood by the bedroom mirror. Jane? Liz's voice was silenced by the muted void. Liz could only see the back of her. But she could see Jane's body shivering violently, bent protectively. She put one hand onto the glass of the mirror. A hand reached through. Liz screamed in silence. Jane was enveloped by the mirror, both solid and liquid, like quicksilver. Liz staggered forward, but could push herself no further. She saw Jane in the mirror, burning in a fiery inferno. Flames beyond mere licks, devouring Jane's flesh in full consumption. The agony in Jane's eyes tore through the fabric of Liz's soul. She screamed out a no, but no sound left her lips. Finding her legs, she moved left, right, left, right, heavy as lead. She found herself at the top of the grand staircase. She started down them, her torchlight catching the chandelier. She saw the hollow eyes in the gilt, bent metal. The voice echoed in ungodly waves. Liz tried the large, ornate door. It wouldn't open. She jiggled at the handle and the oak wood reverberated in frustration. The voice echoed in her head, like drums parading through her skull. Liz screamed again. She realized the key was in the lock. She twisted it, and the door gave way. She ran into the night air. Such contrast to the captivity of the house. Her tears came in sheets. Or was it rain? She could not see. She stumbled, flailing as if awash at sea. Then she caught sight of the car. Her anchor... She dashed for it, scrabbling at the door. Locked. No! She screamed, started hitting the roof. No, no, no! She pushed her body against the car and she heard a crack. She pushed back, startled. She searched the pockets of the jacket. Paul's jacket. His phone cracked. His secret cigarettes and a lighter. His keys... She didn't hesitate. She got in and drove. Liz hadn't driven a car in so long that she jutted forward and halted. The car had stalled. She scrabbled to turn the ignition once more, and the car made a reluctant jolt forward. The urgent crackle of the wheels on the gravel echoed the panic which ravaged her insides and pulsated through her nervous system. At the gate, she pulled on the wrought iron. The metal felt no different to the pelting rain, ice cold and needle sharp. Without a moment's hesitation, she was back in the car. The engine made an unhealthy grunt and spilled down the road to the direction she had come. Her mind raced and rainwater dripped from her hair and ran down her back. Cold sweat 
pricked at her upper lip and her knuckles whitened on the steering wheel. She was looking intensely at the country road, all too aware of her cautious driving juxtaposed against her reckless need to escape. She glanced in the rearview mirror. Sunken black eye pockets reflected back. Her heart flew to her throat. She looked away. The deer. With the squealing of wheels and the airlessness of transporting through uncharted space, she swerved the car away from the rotten, yet alive deer that stood defiantly in the road. The car tipped as its wheels caught the ditch, and it landed with a crunch on its roof. Liz passed out. Now. She jolted awake. Full body scare the other passengers jolted. She looked about herself frantically. Countryside sped past her. Musty, air-conditioned air filled her lungs. The itch of the seat crunched beneath her. She blinked hard and shook her head. The other passengers sent her sideways glances. Self-consciously, she nestled into the jacket and walked down the aisles to the toilet. Stepping in, she gave the door a good slam to shut out the worm-like eyes of the commuters. She locked the door. She let the automatic sink run, cold, weird-smelling water over her hands. She took a breath, letting her shoulders drop, and she looked at herself in the mirror. I will not And with the shattering of broken glass against her forehead, her world splintered into nothing. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much again to my author, Jude Gray, for sharing this incredible story with all of us. I hope I did it justice. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scare You to Sleep. You can follow me personally at Shelby B. Scott on both Twitter and Instagram. And a reminder that I will be on, I believe, the next episode of the Nightlight podcast, spelled with a K, Nightlight. Um, with my friend Prince, and that was so much fun. And also, if you would like to become a Patreon patron for only $1 a month, you can get ad-free episodes, and for $3 and up a month, you will get bonus episodes, and there is a new bonus episode I mentioned up top, No End House, and I think it's my favorite creepypasta I've done so far. There are a few others on there, so go ahead and look, and there are tags on the Patreon website, so if you just hit, there's the RSS feed, but if you go to the website itself, um, there are tags to show you where each bonus episode is. So I have a tag for creepypastas if you just want to listen to all the creepypastas in a row. I wanted to thank everyone for your outpouring of support for my little message last week. (laughs) I really didn't expect everyone to, uh, you know, go to bat for me. And I'm honestly, I'm so fine. Thank you so much though for Uh, Just all of your love and support and offers to key people's car for me. (laughs) That was fun to read. 
Um, oh, also, this episode is clearly late. You are not, uh, do not adjust your TV set. Yes, this was late. I had, it's <laughs> a friend of mine, I'm not good at keeping up with this stuff, but a friend of mine told me Mercury was in retrograde, and I believe it, because after not feeling well the week before, then this week I had so many technical errors. Um, I tweeted about it at one point yesterday. It's <laughs> my, I think my PC is in its death throes, to be honest. Um, I think I need a new desktop soon and I got it fixed enough, but it's still, um, acting up, you know, like technology loves to do. So I apologize for the late episode. It was, I almost lost the entire episode at one point and I just sat and kind of stared off into the great nothingness contemplating my life and my choices and all the things that brought me to this point because I thought I had lost this entire edited episode <laughs> and I wanted I don't know I just wanted to not be if that makes any sense okay everyone um this episode was pretty long in itself so I don't want to keep you too long for the ramble oh if you are keeping track at home this week I made cranberry orange muffins I still had some cranberries frozen from when they were in season and I made some cranberry orange muffins, and they were fantastic. I added extra... I used the um, Preppy Kitchen um, recipe, but I also added some flax seeds and psyllium husk to my batter. And I have a very special episode coming up in a couple of weeks. Legally, I cannot tell you exactly what it is yet, but in a couple of weeks, look for something that I'm very proud of. It's a, it's a special episode, and I got to write it. And it's, it's very exciting. I've been sitting on it for a few weeks now because you'll see, you'll see why I couldn't talk about it yet. And you'll see, uh, what the deal is and you'll see clues for it next week on the 18th or maybe the 19th. If I upload the, the pictures the next day, you'll see, uh, clues for it on my Instagram. So keep a look out there. And I'm very excited. I got invited to do something very, very cool next. Is it Wednesday? It's the 18th. Is that a Thursday? Wednesday, Thursday? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I'll be there. Doesn't matter. All right, that's enough rambling. I'm going to let you go. Remember, drink your water. Wear your sunscreen. Go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. <laughs>